was in two museums. Um, I went to the Detroit Institute of the Arts, which I didn't really realize is a quite a major um, institution in the U.S. It's like it's actually a little bit bigger than the AGO. It's like 65,000 square meters. So that's really enormous. Um, and uh, it's got like, it had a huge number of works too. Actually, it doesn't have as many works as the AGO. The AGO probably has, has more, uh, has better storage space or something like that. But uh, yeah, I saw some, you know, everything from like a sarcophagus with a mummy in it with an x-ray beside it where you can see like, the, I like stuff like that. Inside? You, know? you can Well, yeah, they're in a glass case, right? And um, there's a sarcophagus that's from ancient Egypt. And then there's a, inside the case, there's also an x-ray photograph that's there just to show you what it looked like when they x-rayed it. So you could actually see like this mummy in there, you know, and the bones and everything. It's kind of creepy, but kind of cool. And they had just put up an exhibition on, uh, on um, kind of the Middle East. And that was pretty interesting. And just walking around and seeing, they've got a lot of real antiquity stuff, like seeing like pictures of uh, like tempera paintings on wood that are from like, I can't even remember how old, but we're talking like 4,000 year old paintings in some cases. I might be wrong on that. No, this was like a board. It was like a board and it was some kind of decorative thing that went across it. And I might be getting my years mixed up. That might have been like, like 2,000 years old instead of four. But I seem to remember thinking, like, holy crap! Like, just I get I get amazed by that. And like, I also really like when I'm in a gallery to look at the the Byzantine work. You know, the really flat face stuff and the gold the gold inlay on it. And I'm always looking at like I don't recognize really many of the artists or any of them probably, but I'm always interested in the year and just They're again. They're not well known. The artists. No, I think there was kind of the black. The, what do they call them? Like the dark ages or something in between that and. Modern, more modern times, but it's. I would. I mean, I don't know. It's probably not an easy one for you to get to because whenever you're around here, you're always kind of tied up with yeah, family but stuff. But uh, but I would. I would highly recommend it. And then there's a there's a pretty big wing of contemporary art too, and lots of this kind of standard American like Carl Andre bricks on the floor, Smithson. Or, there was one really neat one that I saw that was. Uh, from, I think she was from Columbia, and it was right into the drywall of the museum. It had she had shoes behind animal skin that was sewn under the drywall. If you can imagine that, and you could just kind of see these red shoes behind it. It was it was symbolic of the disappeared from uh, from the sort of fascist governments that they've had in Colombia over the years. So that was that, that really kind of struck a chord. Right into the museum. Yeah, right into the yeah. Well, it was like kind of a partition wall that came out, but yeah, they cut a hole in the wall and built a little cabinet inside of it and. That's interesting. Uh, uh, are you uh, like continue telling me, and I'll tell you more about this. Keep going. What else did you see? Ah, uh, what else? Well, there was again lots of the, the sort of standard. Uh, Oh, like a, some, uh, the, the Klaus Oldenburg, they have like, he made a giant outlet, like a plug that's like about, I don't know, three feet, and it hangs down over one of the stairways. That's pretty cool. And there's a, a Lichtenstein painting that I always love every time I see a picture of it, and they had that there, and it's like a, it's called Brushstroke Number something or other. He yeah. probably did a whole series of them. It yeah, it's like yellow and blue, and it's just a brushstroke all done with big dots. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. 
I really, I really, really like that painting. And I also like him because he was born on the same day as I was. Not in the same year, he's way, way older, but uh, he's passed away since. But, but I remember when I was, I guess, first discovering who these artists were, and I'd always look in the papers. You know, on your birthday, they tell you famous people who were born on your day, and I, that's the only one I remember from my day. Oh, and Sil Sylvia Plath was born on my birthday, I believe, too. As an aside, so there was that, and then there's the standard. The, you know, they had a nice big Rothko, and they had a they had one of kind of everything of that kind of abstract expressionist school. Not everything, but you know what I mean, like a Franz Klein. And, that's the blue stuff. No, that's Eve Klein, I believe. Ah. But I was just thinking that in my head, I, I might be getting them mixed up. He's the one who does their like black and white kind of big brush strokes. Um, and then the contemporary gallery we went to is called the MOCAD, the Museum of Contemporary Art Detroit. And I think that's relatively new. It's a big, big, wide open, raw space that has uh, sort of a small exhibition gallery in the front that seemed to be filled with works that artists probably donated to the gallery to be auctioned off. Some of them pretty pricey, like, you know, seven, $8,000. And then in the back was an exhibition of... Um, was an exhibition of there were I think there were like six or eight Latin American artists that had a bunch of fairly contemporary work up involving like mirrors or sand on floors or whatever you know actually there was there was, there was some neat stuff there but we were kind of just passing through that fairly quickly because we got there pretty close to when it was going to close and then we went into the, there's a really nice um, um, cafe attached to it on the other side too so we stopped in there and had a drink and there was a really good DJ playing it was it's a really good experience. Detroit's a neat, neat place to visit if you've got a bit of time to ever check it out. I highly recommend it. I like it more than Toronto, I think. Yeah? I think so. Maybe just because it's new. And it's not as... Like, but isn't part of Detroit completely, like... Well, we didn't get around. Yeah, a lot of it's like, really in bad shape. Yeah, but the downtown area is really quite nice. In fact, I think they give away buildings for free if you're going to renovate it and stuff. Yeah, if you have to pay the back taxes and you have to pay for the renovations to bring it up to, to proper building code standards. And I think even doing that, you can probably get a pretty nice house for, like, under $200,000. And... Uh, I think there's a lot of artists that are moving into Detroit as a result of that. I heard about yeah. that. So maybe that's where you can retire. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Yeah. Anyway. Uh, although I have a little bit of a trouble with uh, living in the space. Yeah, I find it kind of nerve-wracking too. I, you know, to be honest, I've only been in the U.S. Uh, since 9-11. I've only really been there, I think, this is the third time. And this is the first time I've, well, maybe second time I've actually driven over the border. Flying over I find less stressful for some reason. I find when you're in your car going over the, the border, I find you're at their mercy and they can, yeah. you, hear, you hear stories about people getting their seats ripped apart and stuff. You know, not that I look, I don't think I look disreputable or anything. Ashley's sister got up and uh, her boyfriend got pulled over. They didn't rip the seats open, but they went through all their stuff. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I don't know, just because maybe they're a little bit younger and Katie's got like an undercut on her hair, you know. A couple piercings, maybe they just thought that, you know, these people they mean trouble. The, yeah. the guy we had was really nice, actually. He was he was very friendly and uh, got into like kind of congenial conversation with you. And then he would say, so this is your car? 
You know, he, he, he was good though, because he could trip you up better that way, I think. He knew who Kraftwerk were, who we were going to see. He thought he said, nice, oh, nice. Cool. Yeah, so that was made it a lot easier. The guy coming back on the Canadian side was grumpier, but even he was fine. How's your beer? This is quite good. It's called Oktoberfest. Do you like yours? Yes, I do. It's a very nice beer. I find that... Uh, I'm very lucky to be here with yeah, you. Yeah, I'm glad Yay. that it worked out. Uh, tonight, because tonight would have been really the only night that I could have done this. Thank you so much. And how is your... Uh, how are your classes going? It sounds like you're taking a printmaking course. Okay, well, now I'm going to go back to what you were talking right, about. Right, right, right. So, you were talking about shoes inside the, the wall. The, the shoes that were put right inside the, uh, the right. museum's wall. Right. So, we had a visitor uh, in our just in our program, a visiting artist named Duane Linklater, and um, he's a native uh, artist from the Oskego uh, band in northern Ontario, and uh, he graduated from the University of Calgary, and um, he's been all over the place. places where he'd um, sanded the wall to reveal these, uh, these paintings. So the idea of art being encrusted into the walls of the museum itself or the art gallery, that's, pretty, that's a pretty cool idea. Yeah, I think that's pretty neat. And that was another thing I liked actually about the Detroit Institute is it's a very old building and it's got a lot of very customized like chapels that have been built right into the architecture of the building itself. So it's like a permanent part of its collection. It's never going anywhere kind of thing. But yeah, that's neat. And did you know this artist before or was this someone who uh, you just... No. There's so many artists, right? You can't he's track a friend of one of our professors at the university. So Andrea Pinheiro is a little bit younger. So she has all kinds of friends still, you know. And they, he came and talked about his, his work. And he's a strictly contemporary artist. Um, he doesn't even make his own art. He's, he's like Ai Weiwei. He, he commissions other people. Yeah sort of idea person. He's an idea person. More than a crafts person. Um, I think to do that properly you have to start out at some point in your career making things so I don't think you can I don't think you can tell people how to make things if you didn't have an idea how to do it yourself. Well I had a conversation with him because uh, here, we right? had a, we had a yeah we had a studio visit uh, together. So I'm a painter and 
vintage scarf. So I showed it to him and um, he really liked the felted scarf. Uh, and we talked about painting. He's not comfortable painting. He's not at all. Like, and I asked him, well, I find this very puzzling. You know, why, why is it that you can't work with material and to him it's because of the academy the whole idea of the academy within the art world it's a white concept to him interesting it's yeah. interesting to get different perspectives on that yeah um, so he's he never really did much in terms of uh, object making not like much. painting or sculpting or the one thing he made was connection and he needed to get his hands into it but otherwise he doesn't want to he wants other people making so if he has um, for example he went to a museum got some pieces uh, that were stored and the authors were unknown you know like masks and baskets and all these kind of folkloric items and he had them reproduced and that was a way for him to make the gallery realize that these pieces are unknown. They were taken without like cultural appropriation. Yeah, yes. yeah. So yeah, and I always find that a little I don't know. I found out when I was in uh, I went to Greece uh, bunch of years ago now, like in I think 2010, and we went up to the Parthenon of course because you're in Greece, and one of the things you realize up there is that the British Museum owns half of it, right? Like these pieces were all taken like over the years, and that kind of pissed me off, like I think it belongs where it started, like they've got reproductions in its place and that, and maybe in a way there's something to be said for it being in a museum and preserved better. So I'm kind of of two minds of it, but it, there's still something about the the idea that you can just go in there and take somebody else's culture that I find really offensive. I know that I had a, a student in my class from China, and he sent me an email one day. Uh, I don't know, it was about something else, but it, it became about this cultural appropriation. Oh, I know what it was. He was... He Sorry, students? The students okay. feel that they can confide in me. Are, are you teaching them French or English? Or? No, we were, we were in a, an art class. So oh, in 
that's because I, I, okay, I, understand, I, understand. I was a student. You, you two were a student. Okay, I understand. I understand. So, uh, he said that the um, British Museum owns a lot of carvings, um, temple carvings. Chinese artifacts. Yes. And he said, you know, why is that? They should be returned. Thing is, is in many cases they have the ability to restore them themselves. I mean, these columns that they were that I'm thinking of that were in the Parthenon, they weren't outside columns. It's, this, it's all had a structure built around it, right? Because it's being preserved. But it was it was very, you know, very obviously noted with big plaques saying that this is not the real thing. The real thing is in Britain, right? It's like wow. I don't know. Yeah, this is a reproduction, and it was and they had they said when it was taken, and I can't remember. It was probably like in the 18th hundreds or something, not even that long ago. Almost sank boats, I think. They almost sank boats trying to take these things. Yeah, wait, how can you remove the barges and, and it almost sank everything. Okay, well, um, I'm pretty sure we're okay. It's recording. It's going to sound kind of noisy. You're going to have to get... Maybe you can filter that. Uh, I wonder if there's anything there's you can do. There isn't much I can do. No, it's going to be part of the, the recording. But I can tell that our voices are, are coming through. We'll, we'll see. We'll just never mind it and hope yeah, I was, I'd like to get some food. I probably don't want to record myself eating. Did you, did you order? I have not yet. Uh, so when she comes back, I'll do that, and then when they bring it, maybe okay. we can conclude them. But, uh, yeah, maybe do that for a little bit. but it's not like a calder spider. It's not graceful. It's more blocky. And uh, I really thought that was cool. And as you walk up to it, you realize it's like, it's like the size of the room that we're in. It's really large. Is it the Louise spider? It, it, I don't know if it was supposed to be a spider or not. That's just... It might, but I'm wondering whether it was her. I'm wondering whether it was one of her pieces. Did you see the name of the title? No, you know what? Because it was an outdoor sculpture, they... I mean, maybe they had a tag on the front, but I didn't, like, walk around the whole thing to find it. Very blocky. Oh. That's why I don't know that it was her. Okay, so it might not have been with Bourgeois. I'm gonna look it up. Because I can. See where that works. Up. See where that leads me. Oh, there it is. Yep. Oh no, that's not it. <laughs> that's cool though. I wish I would have seen that one. That's a calder. <laughs> No, it was more of a geometric thing. I, that, that's it right there. Ooh. 
And so, like you say, it's, it's like the size of the room that we're in. It was really big. Very um, surprising. Yeah, so that was something that I, I, I don't remember. I'd been there once before to the, that museum. Tony Smith. Okay, I do know that name. It's called Grace Hopper. So Tony Smith was a big, big-scale sculptor like that. I remember, I remember that now. And, and as soon as I see that name, I say, yeah, I'm, I would have known that probably 20, no, not 20, like 15 years ago. I probably would have remembered, but he's not somebody I thought about. See, that's what, I think what I liked about going through the contemporary part of the gallery was saying, oh yeah, I remember that artist because it's been a long time since I've thought about about certain artists or certain people that I think about all the time, all the time. Even though I, you know, not so much making art or even, you know, I've never really lost interest in it though. When you think about it, like I, even though I'm not making it anymore, I go to like anytime I go away anywhere, I always go to the art gallery, like pretty much. Yes, I can see that. Yeah, any 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 big city that I've ever been to, I'll make a point of trying to get to whatever their biggest art gallery is, and sometimes it's impossible. Like, you know, you go to New York. Overwhelming because you could probably spend three solid days just at the map alone. And, uh, I, I went in there when I was there a bunch of years ago, and I don't. I remember like some of the contemporary stuff, but again with that one, the one that I remember the most was walking through ancient Egypt. It's like there's something about having these pieces of ancient Egypt, and you're walking by these hieroglyphics that are like from I don't know, like 2000. BCE, they call it now, and they, they talked about that too, which is cool, right? Because they're trying to keep it more culturally inclusive, so they talk about before a common era. I'm sure you get that in school all the time, but I, did, I had not really thought about that before. I probably did a long time ago and then sort of forgot, but well, they don't. I, I adopted that BCE and CE, but uh, some, some other professors were against that because still it was because. You could take year zero as any year, right? Yeah. But I mean, I think to me, I think that that's a fair compromise, just because. I agree. What do you, you shift every year by a certain amount? I don't think that's really. I don't think that would just be confusing to me. I know. I know. I really like that. I like BCE. That just makes it a little bit less Christian and, and, and more kind of. Kind of uh, and when I think of that time, I see that as a kind of, a, it's kind of a, in a way it's a bit of a natural break. Like I think more about Julius Caesar actually than I do about Christ. And that was a big change for ancient Rome, which is a, had a lot of repercussions right to the modern day, I think. Right? Yes. So I, I, to me it doesn't, I don't, I don't associate it so much just with, uh, with JC. The, the other thing that I forgot to mention when you were talking about uh, what you saw, the Liechtenstein paint. Um, yeah, the brushstroke. Yeah. Brushstroke. Um, I actually saw a presentation with my professor recently in my drawing free class. She showed us those and he did Oh, is that right? I may have seen those come to think of it. On metal. Yeah, and it's just a brush stroke. Like a three-dimensional brush stroke? Yeah, like that. And um, it's very pop art looking, you know? So, I, I like that. I, I, 
there's something about him that I like more than most of the other stuff. Yeah. Cause I like Andy Warhol stuff too. Some of his prints I think are pretty neat. I find that too commercial. The other thing that's reminded me of another artist who I saw there who I love is George Segal. You know, he does like like plaster sculptures of, of human figures. So they're like you know, they're like just white, all white. There's not painted or anything. And they're really haunting. And there's I don't remember what was it. Oh, and another thing that I saw that really was amazing, and I don't remember the artist, he was a Japanese artist, I believe. He made a motorcycle, an Indian motorcycle sculpture completely out of wood. Like motor and everything, like all details and everything. You know, I have a lot of photos that I took, and uh, maybe that will inspire me to actually take them off my camera. See, the problem is, is that we use our phones for cameras, and I, I if I do that, I'm good about keeping track of them and having them for a show. But I, my, it's good my, to take your, my point and shoot camera just does such a better your job. Card, your card, your yeah. your SD card, and just download your photos. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a good thing. I keep them in Facebook because at least they're somewhere stored that way. Yeah, label it, and then you can you can refer yeah. to it. But when I went when I went on this trip, I brought my Canon G15. It's called. I, I love it. It takes amazing shots. Like I think the Apple phones do a pretty good job, to be honest. But but um, mine <laughs> mine is the 4S, and yeah, mine yeah, yeah, are yeah, always got, blurry. <laughs> you know that might be that just a, who knows? It's old, right? Maybe it's just because it's got dirt on, like because you've got a um, what do you call it, like a jacket on it? I think because mine's like that too. And this isn't that old. I only had this for a few months. But anyway, the Canon camera takes nice photos. But the, the, I have to get like a cable and connect it to my computer and organize it and everything. That's and I, fine too. it's easy. It's just I'm lazy. And you know what? The room that I have to do it in at home, I'm, I'm, I, it's like an office room at the front of my house that I've never really organized. I've lived in this house for a year, and I, I just haven't really, and I, I really don't like going in that room. I'm kind of afraid of it. I feel because, guilty every time I go in it because oh, I should yeah. be, I should be pulling everything out of it and probably throwing a quarter of it away, putting up shelves. But I'm, I'm figuring that's all going to happen as my basement renovation goes on. But I shouldn't let that stop me from downloading pictures, should I? I could do it on my work laptop, I suppose. At least I'd have it somewhere that way. But yes, I will. What I will do. This is inspiring me to, to maybe, maybe even this weekend, get off my butt and do that. And I'll, uh, I'll pick out a few things, maybe, and post them to the website or to the Facebook page. One thing that I find that is really important um, for us in our program is, is to get um, perspectives. You know, because we only have three professors and we live in a very isolated community so it's good to have perspective from outside you know I think that would be really an interesting aspect of being in a smaller university and taking art because it's just not a very big community but you probably get some interesting like you get this native artist that we were talking about earlier you might be less likely to get somebody like that coming into certain other I don't know it's starting to to happen slowly but we're still missing the ability to to discuss you know um, of art. There's one school trip, you know, um, and uh, students might go, 
to feel somewhat that you're uh, to feel somewhat that you're challenged, right? Yes. Rather than being the one who's challenging everybody all the time, because right. you're the one who's thought about it more. Yeah. Not to not to be arrogant. It's like, not really about that. It's it's we more. We have students in our program that make amazing art. Okay, they're like let's say we could say the Da Vinci, okay, of of that family, let's say, and the family doesn't understand their art at all. You know? That's probably not that, that uncommon, so, no matter where you are. So they kind of live in this little bubble by themselves. So having the chance to discuss things with someone who's outside and goes and visits. The Scottish Ale. Anyway, um, yeah, that, that would be a challenge, I think, with being in a smaller community. And you probably at some point feel that you really, you almost want to like do some sort of extension studies from somewhere else or something. Or I don't know if you can do much in the way of distance. Once in a while, I, I get this urge to talk about what I'm seeing around me, you know. And the podcast is is my way out because. I can't really sit and talk with my professors very often. Not even really with the professors? Sometimes, but they, they like to talk about their family or... Oh yeah, I guess you know, it's like, kind of like a... They don't yeah. want to talk about art all the time. You know? Yeah, because they spend the, all their other time talking about art. So they yes, they, they teach it and all this, so... I would still feel a responsibility to engage a, a keen student if I were in their position, I would think. But I don't do it. I'm not in their position. The walls of the classroom, in your three minutes, um, let's say you're having a critique, you're putting your work on, you could possibly talk a little bit, but you wouldn't really get the chance to discuss in a broad way like we do. So that's why I love it's hard to strike up a friendship in a way too because there's this kind of barrier between student and it shouldn't be that way but unfortunately it can be right it depends largely it on the person be. right it can be um, I find that um, students within the program they just they're t- trying to get their work done and they work during the day and they have a lot of other things on the go so we don't necessarily want to talk about art you know so there aren't that many people that I get to talk with so to me like this is so important that oh, I get to talk a, with you I'm glad that I can help you out that way I, I it like it too me. it really does like it it gives me a little bit of a broader uh, mind about my that they always made and I'm thinking particularly of one person but it's been more than just him that they would always say you know for every 
like great painting that you make, you've probably made ten of them that you just assume never look at again, right? But it's all part of the process. You can't get there without it, and, and it almost doesn't matter who you are. And I think the people, and another thing that that they argued too is that being born with what they call you know a natural talent or gift is actually a, a curse because you, you can't get outside of that now. You're, you're sort of if you've been able to draw perfectly ever since you were like eight years old or whatever, it's really hard to then break out of that mold and do something that's more that well and arguably more creative. I mean, whatever people have their own ideas of what creativity means. I don't think I'm right on that. I, to me, I don't think it's that creative to keep doing that stuff over and over again. I think it's more creative to challenge yourself and to push yourself and to try to think about I don't know the, the, I don't know where it all fits in right into the philosophy of who you are and what you I don't know not to get too philosophical but I started drawing uh, strings so I have strings because of that DNA post or was it DNA not DNA there was a chromosome picture or something that you posted it looked like the flying spaghetti monster I don't know I so subconsciously made that link, but it it did look like you know a whole bunch of strings. Maybe I picked it up from that, but it was really that I had a box of things that we had to bring to drawing three, and there was a piece of yarn with feathers attached to it, and I started drawing that, and I started being drawn to attention to the yarn and the way it was spun. The way you could see the like the, the grain of it and everything? Yeah, yeah. So I started paying attention to this and I started drawing it and going through the process of drawing it big, drawing it with Do ink, Extreme close-ups of yarn? Like, yeah, like as big as... Yeah. Like a 12 foot, a 12 foot by a 5 foot painting of, <laughs> of a yarn. <laughs> Why not? It's cool. <laughs> so I started doing that, and then I, I saw a bag, and the bag had handles with like two twine, you know, uh, handles. So I, I drew that, I painted that, well, watercolor. So um, I'm into now looking at things. The details of things, really like focusing on, you know, the grains of salt in the, in the uh, salt you know shaker. I do that with photography a lot. Like I'll be like taking like super close-up pictures and making something that's very ordinary into it. I think I think something that's pretty interesting often. Like I remember I did a series of uh, well, I did a series. It's like I had my camera out and I saw these things, but uh, uh, it was like a. I remember I was in King Carden, I think, and there was it was like a construction site, and there was a bunch of like posts that had wires coming out of them, like all different colored wires. And I'm getting like these super close-up shots of those, and it's just like these. I don't know, they're really cool. Like that's why I like your necklace. It reminds me of that kind of stuff. Yeah. Eh? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This necklace is cool. It's 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 got tubes of wires. So. Or also, it reminds me of Zamfir <laughs> playing a pan flute. It's uh, like. Oh, I see. Like spring. Yeah. There's, there's like nylon. Yeah. There's nylon on the outside. And so is this made by an, like a, an artisan type then? Uh, 
it's it's it, it's an artist um, Emma Piertonini. She's um, she's in Halifax now, but she really made nice. those. I like the and colors on them. Find them, and uh, I know, isn't that cool? Well, I really like uh, what do they call it? Anodized aluminum, and that might be what that is. Mm. I really like like that old like used to make like water jug sets and stuff in the fifties, and they were like copper colored and blue, shiny like that. Actually, oh, same yeah. colors as those. I always really like that. And actually, one of my uh, one of my favorite artists, surprise, surprise, is Ellsworth Kelly, and oh, he's yeah. and he's got a bunch of pieces that are anodized aluminum, like sculpt wall pieces. That I, I I think I saw one that's at the, the MoMA in New York that is a piece that came out of a bus station at some point. It's like a big wall piece. It's like as big as this whole wall here of just pieces coming out. It's the sort of art that people don't notice. They just think it's part of the architecture, right? But it's like, I thought it was really cool. And I think that, if I remember right, was anodized aluminum. So kind of the same sort of color palette as that and uh, the way that it's shiny like that. I, I, I really like it. I like it more than I know it's made of, it's they're like springs. It's got yeah, nice weight to it, you too. Have to, you have to, like... Really twist. It's twine, yeah. like it's yeah. string that you. And you must have. Uh, did you buy that directly from the artist then? Yeah, I bought this directly from her. That's she makes cool. those. She puts a lot of work in those, I bet. <laughs> I know. I know. She's such a. She's Finnish. Finnish from Finland. Oh yeah. That's my dad. Finnish from Finland. Oh, really? Yeah, but it looks actually, it has a bit of a Scandinavian feel to it, now that you say that. Maybe I'm just making that up. Where's your mom from? She's half Irish, half Scottish. So. Wow. That's where I get my beer drinking. Because <laughs> Finnish people don't drink. <laughs> they drink alcohol. Quietly, they quietly. Drink, yeah, they drink quietly and they drink stuff that's 45% alcohol. <laughs> As opposed to pub, pub fair. There's a lot of Finnish in uh, St. Mary. Yeah, Northern Ontario, they went there because it's the same landscape as Finland. Like my uh, uncle, my dad's family, my dad actually grew up in Timmins. And his, uh, he's got a brother who's in Kirkland Lake area. Actually in a town called Swastika. Oh yeah, yeah. I know yeah. about that. And then he had another brother. Their last name is Toivonen. Very Finnish name. And actually, my last name used to be spelled differently. Like, my grandfather spelled it H-E-L-L-S-T-E-I-N. And it's actually a... It's He was from Finland, but it's a Swedish name because the Swedes actually occupied Finland for something like five or six hundred years or something like that. And so Finland hasn't actually had to be an independent country for relatively that long. So there's lots of... Andersons and Helstens and any EN name pretty much is well lots of them have, have roots in Sweden I'm, so I'm told well that's interesting now I wonder I think it would be an interesting thing to go to a country like that and look at what kind of contemporary art is going on in a, like a Scandinavian country it'd probably be probably be cold <laughs> Yeah, you don't need to actually go there, that's true. But that's not something that I've ever... Oh, no, there's... I can... There's a couple Finnish... Ar, I think, well, there's Finnish architects that I, I kind of think... There have been a few Finnish names that I've seen. That I've seen, um, like, on... You know, 
plaques or, or in books or on the internet? I'm not going to look it up. should be really, really interested in simplicity. So I, yeah, and a lot of that Scandinavian design is all about all about simplicity. And maybe that's what I'm saying with the, the necklace that you're wearing. It's 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 kind of a, it's it's got a statement, but it's it's not it, it's very uh, it's kind of it's, un, un, it's understated. Yeah. Rather than overstated. Yeah. It's, it's not Italian. Coming from uh, coming from like the Renaissance Italian, everything was all right. everything was all covered in gold. Or China, like Ming Dynasty China. It's like, oh my gosh! It's like every single thing was covered in a design. Oh yeah. Which is still kind of beautiful in its own way, but it's a little overwhelming. So, oh my god! I just realized. Look on the door. You see on the door, there's a little guy, like a little ghost, like Pac-Man. Oh yeah, that's. That? I think that's a particular brewery. On I think they have a tap yeah. handle for that too. Yeah, I, I don't remember the name of that Beer one. Beer Lab. Beer Lab. Beer Lab on tap. That's right. Oh. I don't think they have it actually on tap, but they did at one point. They put that's a sign neat. up. Yeah, this is a really interesting place. Milo's on. Uh, Street? This is I think he goes by Milos. Milos. Because I think he's uh, somewhere from Eastern Europe. But he uh, he's got a real history of uh, around around London. Of well, Trossers is right across the street. He used to do the beer at Trossers, and that was a place that was always famous for having a really good list. Mostly not on draft, but on bottles. They had like a couple hundred different, or maybe not a couple hundred, but fifty to a hundred different times, probably realistically. Lots of Belgian beers. And then he had his own another place that he was involved in more directly called Gambrinus that was in the market. And then he got out of that. I don't know if it was when it closed or whatever, and he ended up at this place. And this place has been here for three or four years now. We sat over at that table just behind us there, with, filled with broadbacks the last time. <laughs> not last, it, wasn't, it wasn't the last time I was here. I've been here since then, but that was a fun night. Yeah, Dave told me about that. So I'm just going to say good night and thank you, Mark. Adieu. Adieu. And um, we'll.